Hello and welcome to the Coon Hunting University Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Coon Hunting University is brought to you by Superior Hunting Lights. Superior, step up to the max. Use discount code CHUPODCAST at checkout on nighthunters.com. Conkey's Outdoors, hunting and hound supply store. We stand behind Conkey's and is the only hunting supply store that we personally recommend here at Coon Hunting University. You can find out more at conkeysoutdoors.com or find them on Facebook, Conkey's Outdoors, and give them a like. And GNR Cedar Dog Boxes. They make a high-quality cedar dog box at a great, affordable price. If you're in the market for a new dog box, reach out to Gavin at 615-962-5266. So in this interview, you're going to hear Mr. Mike towards the end talk about how he would like to put on a youth hunt there at his home club in South Carolina. And we kind of did a call to arms, you know, anybody, he said it was, you know, he said it was real tough for him because of the fact that he didn't really have the manpower you know he'd been trying to get up the manpower so we kind of did a call to arms saying you know hey look if you if you're in the area you'd like to help mr mike out just go on over there and you know help him out well right after that gavin flat who owns gnr sear dog box messaged me and said hey man look you know he owns the slow talking silas dog which is off of blaze he said hey man look i got this i bred a slow talking silas to a, this big money female and uh, the puppies are going to be six weeks old right at the time that you're going to be releasing this episode. He said, I think it'd be a great time. Let's let's raffle this off. Let's do something for the youth, you know, with it through the podcast. And I said, you know, oh, man, that's a great idea. Perfect timing, too. And then I start thinking. I said, you know what? Let's do this raffle for Mr. Mike's hunt to help get it a jump start. And I think that this is perfect. I mean, you're talking about a slow-talking dog. It's off a of slow-talking Silas who is off of blaze so slow talking silas is off of blaze and slow talking glaze who is off of buzz and a uh insane cane female so the the dam to these puppies is off of big money and a heavy schooner riverbred female whose mother's off of schooner river lippers repeat Gavin donated a male puppy. The puppies are, are going to be six weeks old this week. I'm pretty sure this is when I'm talking to you, this episode will be released on June 8th. So on June 8th, we'll be doing this waffle. We call it a waffle because Facebook flags it. If it's a raffle, we'll be doing this over on the coon hunting. You Facebook group Wednesday, June 8th, uh, probably around 10 o'clock we'll start it so you're listening to this right now i don't know what time you're listening to it but we're going to be doing that i don't know how many spots we're going to do yet because i'm recording this before of course but uh and man after listening to this podcast especially the last half of it i feel like a lot of people are going to want these slow talking dogs i mean just the way that mr mike talks about them i think it's it's awesome i think it's a great way to jump start so we are going to be doing this waffle wednesday June 8th in the Coon Hunting You Facebook group. 
I'll leave a link to the Facebook group in the description box below. We'll be doing it over there. It'll be a waffle, and I'll have a picture posted of the male puppy off of Slow Talking Silas and this big money female. So another thing I want to talk about is I want to thank everyone who's been such a strong supporter. I mean, the support that Coonut University's getting is just crazy, and the support that we've gotten. I mean, it's just it's it's been mind-blowing to me, and I just have to really thank each and every one of you. I mean, really, I do. And thank everybody who's given us a good rating and a review on our podcast and Spotify. I mean, it's awesome. I love to hear the feedback from these these episodes, and I love to hear the people that are on these episodes, and then they come back to me and they're like, man, all these people have done message me, man. This is awesome. You know, they just, people love that. You know, they love to, when the listeners hear somebody on this podcast and they message them and they say, hey, man, look, I really enjoyed that. It really does mean a lot. I mean, and it means a lot to me too, to be able to know, hey, look, you know, people are really liking what we're doing. And it's it's kind it's grown more than I ever thought it would, to be honest with you. But uh, you know, and we've got a great team here at Coonut University and uh we're gonna keep on keeping on. You know, I mean, uh just keep doing what we're doing and keep letting people tell their stories on here and just the goals haven't changed, you know. What we haven't changed. But so without further ado, here's a good one. This is one that I've I've really been wanting to put out. I think it's going to make a lot of people want them slow-talking dogs. So here we go. Interview of Mr. Mike Carroll. Y'all sit back and enjoy. So before we get started, we're going to have Mr. Mike Carroll on the phone today. I'd like to issue a special thank you to Mr. Barry Fieldback and Gavin Flat. Gavin's, of course, owner of uh, GNR Cedar Dog Boxes, who sponsors the show. But not only that, but they uh, th- they really helped me a lot getting these questions. And uh, I just want to issue a special thank you to them. So we're going to go ahead and call Mr. Mike and get him on the phone. Hello. Hey, Mr. Mike. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. This is uh, Tyler Duncan. I got Mr. Eddie Simmons here. We're calling you from the podcast. All right. We're just... Uh, hey, Mr. Mike. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you, Eddie? Oh, just fine. Enjoying this summertime already. Uh, it's pretty I dry do. here and real hot and dry. Well, we got lucky the last three days. And some rain come right over us, but it was this, this small area. Yeah, you know, got lucky. Yeah, y'all did good. Boy, we have been dry. Most of our hunting spots as dry as a powder house. We went last wow. night, and uh, uh, it's not unnormal for them to look bad, but whew, their conditions helped that last night. <laughs> I hear you. Well, so glad to hear from you. Yes, sir. So, Mr. Mike, uh, we got a good many questions for you. If you're ready, we'll get started. All right, I'll answer the best I can. <laughs> So honestly, <laughs> hey, that's what we like. So, okay, Mr. Mike, just uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Well, done got old. I'm 65, been married about 43 years, still in pretty good health. My feet's not real good, but I'm hard headed and I'm still going. I'm married, got I've been married, like I said, 43 years. I've got Two grown children, five grandchildren, two grandsons, and raising three of the grandchildren. Uh, one of them is 20, one is 16, and one is 12. We've done raised one, I guess. But uh, just 
and hunting's about my life, you know. I love to hunt and train these old dogs. I've had them for years. And just a plain old country boy, man. And, Mr. Mike, how, how'd you get your start into coon hunting? And, you know, when you first started, what equipment would y'all use for a night of coon hunting? Hunt, hunting? What was required back then? Well, I hunted with my dad. He had a little old, uh, like a, you see these little old, square about a four or five inch tall battery six volt i believe we put in old plastic light and he carried that and then he carried a great big old light with a cord around his neck for a spotlight i mean a, a nylon cord to carry it by you know i mean it was a big battery on it and he didn't burn it except to shine the tree and uh we didn't even have no boots back then no tracking system for nothing no shockers, just and he's uh treated probably many possums as anything, but when the coons came around, we started you know trying to break them off the possums. But uh, we didn't have walker dogs till I was probably 12, 13 years old, <clears throat> and uh, he'd have English looking dog, a blue tick. And he had some look like walkers, but the first walkers we got was the ones we ended up with up until today. My daddy's been dead about 43, 44 years, too. And I've had this line of dogs since he passed away. There, uh, one of them he left me with was, uh, well, I've got off track about what we hunted with, but we didn't have nothing, but we had a little light we carried in our hand. and Followed along with him. We didn't have much to, he'd have a big old field jacket, one of these green field jackets, like an army jacket. He carried a pocket full of stuff and this coon squalor had the old OLT. I don't think I spelled that right, but the, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the PS Oats coon squalor. Yeah, that's right. I still got one today. Yep. Um, uh, And Talk a little bit more about the dogs that y'all had back then before you got the walker dogs. And uh, Did y'all quit treeing those possums? Was that about the time y'all got walker dogs, or was that kind of a coincidence for you? <laughs> well, we, when we got the walker dogs, the uh, possum treeing slowed down. I mean, they, we, they back then, they didn't mind them treeing the possums so much because there's so many more possums than there were coons. And if you didn't treat a possum, you didn't treat nothing. But I mean, he didn't take them down, but he'd have old red tick. I remember one he had he called Jewel and one he called Preach. The Preach was a red bone and Jewel was a was an English-looking dog. And uh, Jewel, would uh, she wouldn't tree. She'd run the track. And the Preach dog, he'd tree. So it took two to make one. And... Uh, he kept a, he kept some fire dogs, you know, and had some black and tans occasionally. He just just as long as it was a hound that run a tree, he he done it. And if it was so shy, he couldn't touch it. When he got it, he'd work with it, work with it, and you know, pet it and do all the things people told him to do and try to get it where it, it would hunt and farm. And then, like I said, we ended up getting the Walker dogs from down here, from below here, about an hour or so. Uh, from a fellow named William Locke and another one named John Harden. And uh, 
One of them was, a, I think it was a double-bred sailor dog, Sailor Junior. And we got another one a little later that was directly off of Stan Sailor Junior. We were going to breed another walker dog we had. We had three there. And uh, the, the one that was directly, we call him Bolly, that was directly off of Sailor Junior. He tore through the pen and bred the one that was a little kin to him, the, the one we got from William Locke and John Harden. My daddy didn't, back then, he didn't, that line breeding, he called it in breeding, even though it was back, it wasn't that close kin. But he, but we kept the puppies anyway, and and also bred the other dog, and the ones that was line bred made the best dogs. So that's where we started. <clears throat> we ended up with two dogs named Buck and Lady that we kept off of Baldy and Queen. And and Queen was one, one of the better dogs that's ever been around here, but she was choir, real choir, funny, didn't want to work, wouldn't have worked in night hunts at all. And just shy type dog, but she struck a tongue, she treated. And the Buck and Lady dog that we kept off of that cross made made good dogs. They both made night champions back then. I mean, I started hunting them in the hunts after he passed away. And uh, started, I just started breeding them, playing with it, and got the same line now. I mean, they go all the way back to uh, Stan Sailor Jr. and well, the Hershberger dogs were before them. Eddie probably remembers some of them. Oh yeah, I, I definitely, I sure read about them a lot. And our old buddy James Love, there's a lot of dogs there that Love has actually hunted with that amazed me. You know, some of the stories he had about those dogs, and that amazes me that that's how long. Uh, you've had this stock of dogs. I knew you'd had them 40-some years, but when you go back to those dogs, I remember reading about an American Cooner when I was a kid, and that's kind of where you got started. But uh, when you got into the competition hunting, uh, uh, tell us about that, and how long did it take you to realize this is what I want to do? I want to be a competition hunter. Then how long did it take you to start winning? Well, the Bali dog was the first dog I ever placed in a hunt and I placed him 10th in the UKC hunt, and I was happy as I, I probably as any I won because of, you know, I was young. Uh, but he wasn't a he wasn't a great dog, but he was just a fire dog, just something I started with. Now, if the queen dog would have done what she could do, I could have won most of the hunts, but you put her around strangers, and she watched them more than she did hunt, you know. But, uh, didn't hunt her in any hunts. I knew she wouldn't work, but I hunted UKC hunts for years. That's what I did. And, uh, well, there wasn't no PKC hunts around here then. My first PKC hunt, I think, was in 1995. I went to the Salisbury, to the Walker days, and uh, something fell through about my entry, and I took off and went to Greenwood, South Carolina, with the Ruger dog. That's when I first started PKC with Ruger. And uh, went down there and won that night, and I was hooked. I won the uh, state race that year. I, I believe it might have been a little later because it was 97 when I won the state race. 1997, won the state race for $1,700 something dollars for the year. Didn't start till February. You know, I hunted in some before then, but that was my first win. 
you know, uh, Mr. Mike, this is absolutely your story, but I, I, I just want to input this, that uh, these slow-talking dogs owned by Mike Carroll down here, uh, not only have you enjoyed your time in this sport and the friendships you've made, you've had some achievements along the way. And uh, kind of what sets you apart from many people in our sport is that uh, with these hounds, you have bred them, you've raised them, and trained them. So I want to go back in history, just uh, make a statement about you, and then we'll let you start talking again. Uh, you know, you won the Super Stakes twice, once in 2010, then again in 2016. Uh, uh, and even the paint female was in the uh, Super Stakes finals of, uh, of the junior division, I believe. One of the dogs you bred the same time you won it with Duke. You won the... Yeah, 2012 national championship with slow talking blaze which was out of your dog buzz then you yes. was in the final six of the pkc world championship with blaze uh what an accomplishment and then you was in the final cast of the 2016 pkc world championship with slow talking duke and uh the blaze dog had two dogs in the final six you had duke in and festus was in Right. You've won so many state races, Pups of the Month. You've doubled up so many times at the Nationals and the World and uh, Super Stakes. I mean, you've just, uh, you've kind of done that and been there with dogs that you bred, raised, and trained. And there's not many people can can uh, tell that story. And uh, Mr. Mike, we're going to talk our way up to those dogs that Mr. Eddie mentioned, uh, you know, as far as, uh, we really want to put that in there that way. You know, you got started in 1995, you said, and uh, Mr. Eddie actually called Mr. Roger Dale to verify earlier because we want to know when you did get your start into PKC and all. Um, uh, Tyler will uh, put this together, Mike, but I, I just wanted to, to close out something else too. You know, uh, Buzz uh, and Blaze are in the Tree and Walker Hall of Fame. That's your two dogs. Your lifetime earnings are 117000 in PKC. In open events, you're one right at 34000 which puts you in the top 30 in open events in PKC history. Two of your hounds are on the PKC top producing list by the pups, their earnings. Buzz had uh, 240000 Blaze had two hundred fifty-three. Like I said, you're in the Hall of Fame. And uh, what's more important is the friendships you've made and uh, the memories you've made while you enjoy this sport. And you've done it with a stock of dogs that you've bred, raised, and trained. And, I mean, hats off to you about that, buddy. Buddy, I do appreciate it. How often do you get to hunt now? I hunt uh, most every night through the week. I most times spend a night or two with my family on the weekends. And hunt the weekends a lot of times, especially if I go to a hunt, you know, which I'll be going to one this weekend. But uh, I hunt most every night just through the week. That's that's awesome. And how do you like a dog to operate? What kind of mouth do you like him to have? What style do you like? Well, I don't all have the, the tight mouths I'd rather them have, but I like I like one with a it's got a kind of a high pitch that I can hear because I'm older. Honestly, what I really like is a, a big ball mouth track dog 
that chops on a tree that's got a big booming mouth. And, uh, you know, but I don't hear them. I can't hear them as good as I can hear the high pitch now. So I'd rather have one that had a just a kind of a high pitch that kind of fits my ears, you know. Uh, and my dog's got good mouths. Don't get me wrong. I can hear them, but if I could, there's always something to change if you would. They they suit me very well the the kind of miles they have. But if I had to put a mouth on one, it'd be a big ball, like most people, with a good changeover and a good steady chop. Most of my dogs are pretty good tree dogs, and I, when I say pretty good, they're usually average or above average. That's what I call a pretty good dog. If, if I get any higher than that, he's he's a really good dog. So, what about um, as far as hot nose? Do they trail? Are they uh, cold nosed dogs? What about their nose? And do they are they, they big hunting dogs? Oh yeah, yes sir. They they are. They overhunt their mouths a lot. I mean, they go till they find a coon. Or I bring them back on, you know. They they maybe if if I if I can change the way they hunt, and some of them do, some of them don't. But a lot of them, you know, just goes straight until they find a coon. Uh, and some of them hunts the woods out. Just they they just kind of a mix. But I like one to get through the country, you know, with a good enough mouth I can hear them when they get deep. These I got now, they are the big hunters. They got a lot better over the years. When you talked about y'all first uh, had those dogs in the Ruger dog, you talked about Mike. What what was the deal on him? What was uh, his background like? Well, it wasn't that great. Uh, I, I kept him here until he was about 14 months old. He didn't have a good mouth. He sounded like a vacuum donkey wing. And... He would he get down and, and just trail and trail and trail and he's young and he, when he got fourteen months old I I said I'm ashamed for people to know I hunt a dog that's not doing any more than this so I quit hunting it. and I know it wasn't legal but I ran deer around here with a walker dog at that time and I don't do it no more people just didn't like it but my deer dog got gone so the guy that I hunted with wanted to keep hunting, so I said, well, take Ruger. He took him, and that rascal would go out there and trail in a five-acre place for a half a day, a deer, just sit and trail. Went in like a donkey. And uh, so I just let him run loose. A car hit him down here in the road while, while he was running loose, and it didn't hurt him bad, but anyway, he... He he ended up making a pretty good deer dog. We killed a bunch of deer in front of him. One season. Killed a fox or two. He'd run anything. Wooden tree. But I retired an old female that was a night champion here that got up about 12 years old and just turned her loose. And uh, when I'd come in from hunting at night, I'd send them down through here behind my house to a creek where I had a feeder. Well, Ruger started treeing with her. It got to where I'd get up in the 
in the daytime, after hunting all night, and they'd be down that tree. You know, up in the day at 10, 11, or 12 o'clock, I'd go down there, and a time or two, I'd knock the coon out to him just to see if it worked. I got to taking him around here on these, where I had some feeders at, and that rascal would tree your coon and quicker than anything I had. But if there wasn't a coon on that feeder, he was gone hunting him a deer, and he'd run it to the river. The river's about three or four miles from here. He'd run it to the river, and he'd come back in. Well, the guy hunted with me some. One night I told him, I said, oh, Ruger, treat him coons, boy. He said, let's take him. Took him over there one night and cut him loose on the feeder, and he runs in there and nails one. He, his dog's in there trailing around. When we get the tree, he said, what's he doing, treating a squirrel? I said, no, he's treating a coon. He, he laughed at me. Shine my light up there, that's a coon. Well, sent him on and wasn't many minutes after deer. Well, I decided I'd try to break him off them deer. I probably wore out two or three of them LR200s, shock collars, and, I mean, it was a long, hard process. I wish I had never run deer with him because he was never 100% broke. But he would show you some new country every every time you took him and have a coon tree when you got it. And uh, I got the first hunt I ever took him to, a UKC hunt, I won it. But the only reason I won it was because we turned loose on the feeder. He got first and first on the first coon, and then the next turn out, that was a deer. <clears throat> but that was enough score to win the hunt. And uh, went on fiddling around with him, him junkie like that, and me still trying to break him. I put him where lots of deer were. And uh, finally, he got to the point where he he just run a deer off two or three hollers over and, and tree a coon. So I started hunting him in PKC, and boy, he he was a ticket. He was he ended up being when he was six years old. He probably I'm gonna say he's one of the best five dogs I've ever owned. I mean, he could he had a big ball mouth that wasn't it wasn't like it was when he was young. Big beautiful ball mouth. And I could trim him on a fourth of his bark when he located because he had a good long locate, And they could run deer or whatever they want to all over him, and he'd never move. He would have him. He would. He was accurate. I won, made him grand night champion, won a big Shriners hunt down here in 1995 in Rock Hill when they had over 100 dogs, scored 850, and didn't hunt the last 15 minutes. And uh, but I got him slowed down on them deer and stuff. And but I'm gonna tell you, he was a he was a coon dog. And never, I mean, the last year he lived, he probably still run a deer a little bit, but people wouldn't know it because when he opened, he sounded like it was cold trailer. You just have to go by the distance. He was traveling to know he was running a deer, and he'd come tree. I won all over the place with him. I think he won 5,900 in PKC. I got him in the semifinal in the quarterfinals the first two years I took him to the world hunt in 95 and 96. Or 96, 97. I might have my years mixed up. It was right about the time that uh, Larry Meeks was buying in PKC. So, uh, but he was a good one. He produced a few good ones. Yeah. Um, and you crossed him 
and sugar, Kings Creek sugar. And yeah. uh, that's where the brandy female came from, right? Right. And there was a good many dogs come from that cross, which I made three or four times. I mean, because there was beautiful dogs, beautiful blanket bite dogs, and uh, had big mouths. And that was just the first or second really good cross I made. I made some, a good cross before then with another dog. But, but this was the when the competition-type dog came into play, uh, more or less. Uh, I mean, got a lot better when I bred Brandy to Rat. But that was my first step, I guess you could say, that of getting some real nice dogs. It just kept improving each time I'd breed. And all I'd say is a lot of luck in this breeding because, I mean, you got to know a little about what you're doing, but uh, still, nobody knows what they're going to produce to you. They come out and you hunt them. Uh, you can do a lot of guessing and thinking, but all you can do is breed coon dog to coon dog. But that was, yeah, that out of three crosses or more, that was a really nice dog. Now, Sugar was a good dog, but wasn't the type Ruger was. She was just a good good old country coon dog. When uh, when you decided to breed uh, Tourette, Mr. Mike, what kind of what kind of led you to that way to putting him in your bloodline? What was it about him that attracted you to, to build further on your bloodline? Because my dogs were more of uh, track dogs than tree dogs. They had tree, but they were super accurate. And, uh, I mean, when they tree did have a coon, but you didn't have to beg them to tree, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. They weren't just the type that grabbed trees and tree to beat. They just, they had coons when they tree. And I ain't saying every tree, but uh, high percentage. And I I just wanted to put some more tree in them. And honestly, when I did, that was a missing piece of puzzle I needed. From there on, it, things have been really good. Did you ever hunt with rat? Never did. Okay. And there was a guy, there was a guy that, uh, it would have never happened, but a partner, me and Mr. Neil Whitworth, which I hunted with since I was a kid, he's one of the ones that inspired me, <clears throat> excuse me, to hunt, him and my dad. Are you in the market for a new dog box and just don't know which one to get? That's where I encourage you to go check out GNR Cedar Dog Boxes, especially if you're wanting something different. GNR Cedar Dog Box was established in 2016 when two avid hunters wanted a dog box that was affordable and great looking at that. They provide a high quality, handmade, lightweight box to the customers. They take pride in the fact that their boxes are fully cedar, which will last a lifetime in all types of weather conditions. Cedar also ensures your hounds stay a little warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. You can find out more about GNR Cedar Dog Boxes on Facebook. G- find them at GNR Cedar Dog Boxes or give them a call at 615-962-5266. They're located in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, USA. He's the one on Brandy. He got Brandy from me as a pup. And this other guy named Kelly Horn hunted with us. And Kelly, it was Kelly's idea, really. He's the one who made the trip, him and Mr. Neal. And, uh, it, it, but I'm, I was 
I wanted to do it. It's just that they made the trip. We talked about it, and I said, yeah, I think it'd be great. So we made us a deal. <clears throat> Neil was going to give me a pup. Well, when he got the pups here, he only raised six. So instead of giving me a pup, he gave me half of two pups. But he done getting up to age. He couldn't, he couldn't get through the woods good. He was getting old like, my, like I am now. Plus, he had some health problems. And the reason he did that was so I would hunt the dogs. And I did, and we ended up selling one of them. We called one AC, <clears throat> and the other one Buzz. And uh, I'll tell you how to, I'll go ahead and tell you how to, it's kind of funny how we got the slow talking name change from the Kings Creek to slow talking on the dog's names. Uh, we were sitting out here at a picnic table one day, and he said, Neil said, what, what do you think, Mike? Well, name name this dog. I said, well, name him Buzz. Buzz Lynch, where he come from? He said, all right, I was thinking about Buzz. He said, you think Buzz would get mad at us if we called him slow-talking Buzz? I said, why do you think, think that? Well, Neil went up there and met Buzz when they bred, and he really liked him. <clears throat> he said, man, he talked so fast. He said, I don't want him to think I'm making fun of him. I said, I don't, I don't think he would. I mean, do it and we'll see. So that's what happened. So we just kept calling him slow talking. And it's kind of a, I guess, a catchy like thing because there's a preacher painted me, a preacher's wife painted me a picture of Buzz one time. And she said to me when she brought it, she said, you know what? She said, it wouldn't matter if these dogs are any count or not. She said, that name right there would sell them. I said, what? She said, slow talking. So I guess other people think that way too because they seem to like the name. But Mr. Neal was responsible for that. Uh, so so Buzz was the first slow talking dog, right? Yes, yes, he was. So yeah. you, you, you raised him from puppy like you were saying. What? Did he start quick? What style dog was he? Uh, did he reproduce better dogs than what he was? You feel like? I I I know some that's better than he was. Yeah, that's off of him. Yeah, uh, you know he produced uh, well, one of them that chased Tapper on that. Uh, I'm thinking her name. She won the national race. That's been four or five years ago. Anna, you probably remember her, Eddie. Absolutely. He was uh, lighting it up with that, that chip. Absolutely. Yeah. And and what 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 style, did did you see more of the rat attack side or more of your dogs in Buzz, or was he just a good mixture of both? He was a good mixture of both. He wasn't no slick trier. There was one slick trier out of that litter of six. We had one named A.C., and he wasn't a slick career, but the one named D.C., a guy over here on was. That song on bark 150 barks a minute, and it was a tree dog. Now, he'd tree some cones, but he missed a lot. Uh, he ended up, I think somebody caught him in a live trap after he got old and didn't go look it because they found his bones in it way after with his collar, you know. I guess he starved to death, but 
My brother had one named Minnie. She made a good one, but he didn't competition not much. He did win some with her, but not much. <clears throat> Justin Robbins got one that was a really nice dog that had some kind of uh, hair problems, like, I don't know, allergies or something. And he ended up putting him down because they got bad. He lost most of his hair. Got mange and shot. I don't know what it was, but he was a nice dog. Every one of them from that litter, now we bred the rat again, <clears throat> and something just happened to all of them. Mine got killed in the road. Another guy got one that was doing super good at a year old. It got killed in the road. One of them was a slick trigger, too, because I ended up with it back after it left here. I got it back and thought I could do something with it, but I couldn't. It, and that was a slick career. It's just tree. And uh, she started eating her puppies. Brandy did. And uh, we went back and bred the sunrise. Got one pup. And that son of a gun, when he was eight, nine months old, he was crazy as a bed bug. We was fixing to put him down. And he'd, he'd strike a track and run it. Circles, figure eights, just wide open. Just when he smelt coon, he went bum stupid. But he started treeing. And I ended up selling him for like $4,500. The guy that bought him said he'd never seen nothing close to him. Bred him one time, and I know of two of the pups that made really good dogs. He made a good dog with me, but God, he was crazy to start with. I never seen a dog do that and then, and then turn out to be what he was. Yeah. So when did you realize that Buzz was going to be a great reproducer? Well, the best cross I made was with Sassy, the dog that was off of uh, the Savage Female. That's where uh, Blaze, Pace, Lynch, Slow Talking Buzz's Lynch, I named him. He was a good one. And there were several more good ones that didn't go to hunt. But the first two or three females I bred to him wasn't much. The people didn't bring the high-powered females here. They went to the well-known dogs, you know. I just bred whatever people wanted to breed, and the first two or three I bred didn't reproduce a whole lot. So it was about the fourth time I bred him before I realized. And I I ain't going to say he's the best reproducer I've had. <clears throat> I got one now I feel like it's going to be the best. Sam, I call him Senator Sam. And Duke, Duke hadn't done bad himself. I think it gets better as, as I go, or that's my opinion. I think it's some other people's opinion, too. Now, I'm not down in uh, buzzes at all, not at all. I'm proud of what he reproduced, but uh, other people, I mean, seem like they know me from buzz, you know. So a lot of people seem a lot out of that reproduction that I, maybe I'm going by the ones that I kept. I don't know, but. I've been pleased with every, every one I've, I've studied. But he was my first good one. Well, I, I, wanna, I wanted to ask you about Blaze and uh, what kind of dog was he and, and uh, what set him apart. And tell us about the national championship. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, Mr. Mike. That'll be with you for life, like a lot of those accomplishments you got. But tell us a little bit about Blaze and what set him apart and, and uh, winning the national championship. Well, really, Blaze was just a, a good common coon dog. He, I got him back from Mr. Barry Philbeck. He said, y'all talk to him. 
or one of you did. Yes, sir. And, uh, yep. He, he, he's helped me out a bunch. He's a good man. And he, he had him or him and these, uh, somebody goes to church with us. Mr. Gomez had him and I ended up getting him back. I think he's about nine months old. He wasn't doing nothing. And, uh, of course, they they don't they didn't hunt, but they think they trained him. You know, they still today think they'll say stuff like what they did, but they they wasn't hunters. <clears throat> but anyway, I got him back and got him started, and almost give up on him. The time he was a year old, he he didn't just bust out and start making a great dog. He uh, he passed a few tests. The reason he was here, still here at at a year old, he could take correction. He learned from the correction, you know, and he was a he was a ball mouth track dog and chopped mouth on the tree. I really had too good a handle on him. He, we, I was on the national hunt one night, not the, not when I won it, but earlier, and the cast walk. He was treed across the river. The cast walks up to the river. He's treed on the other bank, and one of the guys hollered holler out real loud, "What are we gonna do now?" real loud and blaze hit the water and swam to me. I said, I know what I'm gonna do. He said, what? I said, I'm going to the truck. I mean, the dog thought he called him. That's how I, you know, control my dogs a lot was with my voice. And uh, I guess he thought the guy was scolding him to come here. But uh, he comes swimming across that river and I left. Another time I drove all the way out there to Mississippi to the truck hunt. And I remember Ronnie Smith was on the casting, Blaze Pete and Yonder, and there was eight or ten of us together, looked like, going to him. And just as we was approaching him, there was a, about a six-strand barbed wire fence. So everybody started started jumping, climbing that fence and jumping over on the ground, and one guy hollered, Trio Blue! When he did, I done seen the cone silhouette up there in the sky. And uh, Blaze got down. Slipped down the ditch and left out of here. He thought I said, "Get out of here." I mean, I just because I could call him from anywhere and he'd come, but and I could, you know, he whatever he thought you said, that's what he tried to do. And uh, that's two times I got messed up on the cast because I had too good a handle. I might it might not sound right to you, but it, I know what happened. The national on getting to the nationals, uh, he just treated coons. I mean, he got lucky on the second cast. I was out there with Ronnie Bone, and everything went wrong for them and right for me. I don't think we treated no coons. Ended up getting him a mile or two away in a hole in the ground and won the cast. But from then on, he looked good. I had Lynch in the, uh, up to the third round. And and the judge made a mistake. We went. He said, uh, "Judge sent me in the backup judge and another fellow to Lynch and Lynch knobbed some on the tree." And when we got close, there was some more dogs in a lot over across the lake at, in Aurora. And uh, I did know the man got named had the dogs. I can't remember now, but Lynch had hushed for a minute. We stopped and put the two on him, and. When he went to barking again, he said he moved. Well, I knew he didn't move. I got upset about it, but he turned around and leaves. 
matter of fact, the guy's name was Chris Gay, and I found out later, and I don't know if this is right or not, that a backup judge can't even minus your dog. But anyway, I got minus there. I felt like Lynch would have been the one who was going to go on and win it, but I can't remember back all the casts that I was on that week. But the last cast I do, I know it was me, Scott Engel, Ronnie Bone, and Duke Pro was going to be on it, but his dog was coming in heat. And they scratched him before we left Aurora. We, the first turnout we made, uh, I think Mason treated a tree. Ronnie's dog treated Coon, and Blaze was gone. Well, we, when we go to them, they treated right up the side of the road. There wasn't no bad road. And uh, back then, I had the 220 tracking system, and I didn't know how to have use it. And uh, they called timeout. <clears throat> Give me an hour to go get him. He was, I think it was, I don't know how far he was. He was deep. I couldn't hear him, so I took off with that tracker. I, I passed the trucks where we turned out at because uh, the judge's wife was sitting in the truck, and I stopped and asked her to she hear a dog. And uh, I continued on going fast as I could. I called my wife and told her, I said, I think I'm going to get scratched because Blaze is gone deep. I can't pick him up. I'm just going to where I lost him last. <clears throat> I finally got to picking him up anyway. And I can remember seeing him out across the swamp bottom and as the big tree had fell. I looked up, seen the coon looking at me, called Blaze. Here he come and met me. I bet 75 yards. I'm, I'll never forget seeing him jump that tree, jump over that big tree. I put the lease on him, got back to him, boys, with, with two minutes left. Went back in the same wood and cut back loose. Ronnie's dog and Mason struck. The six got him. I think he left barking. Blaze went to the right, goes up in there and trees are coming up in the bottom of a beech tree. And we could see his tail hanging down. Me and I can't think of the judge's name now, but he don't work for PKC no more. Go on and uh, they strike back in. Ronnie, I think Ronnie withdraws or something. Mason's are trailing. Blaze is struck and Mason comes trees. He's sitting there trimming, but the hunt's running down. He didn't want to trim, but Blaze was right in there trailing right around him and Blaze coming out and threw a, a locate and when he did he treed Mason I didn't tree Blaze they both quit barking Ronnie says well, no, Mason kept barking and Ronnie Bone looked back at me and said I bet you a Coca-Cola he leaves that tree he don't stay I said I bet you a case of Coca-Cola she said I don't want no case just one Coke I said okay if that dog didn't leave her, I ain't sitting here. And uh, I won the Nationals. But now I hunted with Mason later. He's one of the nicest dogs. I, I like him as good as anything I hunted with in the hunts. He was nice. But, you know, it takes a lot of luck. And there was a lot of luck there. But I didn't think the Nationals was in my reach. I didn't think the, the Super States was when it happened. You know, when it once it happened, I said, "Well, I can win any hunt because it ain't it ain't the dogs right here and blow everybody out of the woods. Everything's got to fall together." That's what happened with every major hunt I won. So you had 
Buzz Lynch kind of at that time too, uh, right? Yeah. How was he different from Blaze? I know that they were actually what full brothers from different crop from a different litter, right? Yeah. Uh, he was a lot bigger dog, and he was dominant on the trees. Not mean, but I mean up on it, just training like everything. And he wouldn't he wouldn't let nothing run him off. He had a he instead of a ball mouth, he had a more of a raspy squall like and uh, chop all the way. And most people couldn't tell if he was treated or running. I could. And he was he was a lot of people's favorite. I mean, of all my dogs. But let me let me ask you this, Mike, Mr. Mike. Uh, don't I remember that when you when you sold him, Ryan wound up getting him from you? Didn't he go sterile? Is one of the reasons, or am I off base? Yeah, he was sterile. That's the reason I sold him. Yes, sir. I remember he was a nice dog. I, I enjoyed hunting with him, and he was the real deal. But I remember Ryan saying that's the only way he got him. Yeah, I wouldn't let him go. I hadn't meant for that. But now, and he gnawed some, uh, just soft trees. Yes, sir. And he, he developed that after he got a little older. Well, I'm going to back up a little bit. I don't want to mess the story up, but you caught my attention about these handling dogs. I guarantee you I like a dog to handle, especially uh, me being 63. I know you're older than me and you've got foot problems. But uh, do, have you done that with uh, in the yard with a rope? You used an electric trainer? or How do you go about getting this type of handle on these dogs? I do it in the woods. I've never used a rope. Uh, just the, they're smart. And uh, I, I do it in the woods. These these dogs, are, you know, Broad River's big down here. If them dogs can hear me, they'll come swim that river and come to me anyway. And I did it with the collar. But it mostly happened when I was trying to get them to maybe not get in the road or like, like if they was across the river or somewhere, I couldn't get to them. Tone them and shock them a little bit. And it's just... It was just easy. Everything I got here, I got one off of uh, Sam. It's a year and a half old right now, and they handle super good. Having a smart dog and a, a smart bloodline really helps uh, with this coon hunting, doesn't it? Yes, sir. And they're trainable. You know, it's not that I'm that great. It's that they're that easy. They just they're really really smart dogs. I I know a lot of people's dogs do it, but I stick mine in the box, and they come out and stand on the tailgate and let me put the collars on them, and they go back in. The worst thing is I want to lick you in the face when they come out. What I've noticed about your dogs is, you know, they're determined, they're accurate, and like you say, they're smart. And that combination take its turn winning, and it sure make it a lot fun to coon hunt. i tell you what what that would be. I would like them to be a little bit more gritty than they are. They don't. They won't take their part when a dog gets rough with them. I mean, most of them just won't. You know what I'm saying? They won't fight back. They just and I don't want them to, but I, I wish they'd just back up and and stay a little better. You know, Lynch would, but and then I, you know, I've got a warning with him a time if they never will scratch. But some dogs is going to make you move, and a lot of them are. They just don't take to getting bit. I wish they were a little bit more gritty. I ain't saying. Fighting greedy, but uh, staying their ground greedy, huh? Yeah, you yeah, maybe back up and stay a little better. Yeah, how independent are your dogs? 
all these dogs I got here is, is, is real independent. Now, sometimes you may have to enhance it a little bit, you know, but but they got plenty of independence. None of, I turn these dogs loose. I got four here that will trail coon now. You cut them loose together and they'll be on different trees. But I have worked with them some now, some more than others, but mostly you just don't have to do much. Like I said, they're just real trainable. They know what you're correcting them for. Mr. Mike, let me ask a question about trainable. I, I enjoy asking people that's very good at, at this sport. Like a dog starting to gnaw or something like that. I've heard a lot of different opinions, but a dog that gnaws, say a dog that runs a tree. Uh, have you had much success uh, handling that, or is that something your dogs don't have? Or, or tell me what you've done. Well, Blake was the only dog in this line that I've had that, that gnawed. And like I said, he picked it up after he got older, but I don't know anything in this world you can do to stop one from gnawing. I have, well, now he's not the only one. I had one on back. Matter of fact, it was Ruger's daddy. He would gnaw some. And uh, I took him to the vet and had his canines ground down. And that'll stop it for a while. But once they toughen back up, he'd do it again. And, uh, the jumping part's another tough thing. That's something I don't, I, I really never had much trouble with that. Not enough to have learned to learn how to stop it. Uh, we got one now that's jumping some, and uh, or a buddy of mine's got it, and it's off of Sam. Mate, the female I just mentioned with the dog young one, uh, he jumps some, but he seems like he does it when dogs are there. And Barry, Mr. Philbeck, told me a while ago something that he read to try and he told me that when that dog jumps you have him on a leash when he jumps hold you know go up beside him hold you kind of pull him on up a little higher than where he was jumping to and when uh when that leash gets tight just kind of ease it back down and let him back down you know not choke him but let him know that you you holding him up there and he said it's something psychologically and that dog that he don't like to be held up there. But and I'm gonna try it. But no, I I know nothing about it. I just never had the dog to do that. But this this line. I wouldn't keep one that jumped a lot and I'm sure ain't keep one that gnawed much because I like to hear him tree. I you know, I just move on if that happens, but no, I don't know how to break it from that. Anything else? Possum, deer, uh Anything else they do, I, I don't have no problem stopping it. My dog uh, favor a possum more than anything else in the world. They don't run deer. They just don't don't ever run them to begin with. Uh, but they will trip possum to begin with. And I'll probably stop that different than anybody else. I just, when they first do it, I just walk past them about 50 yards with that shocker. And I shock him until he quits treeing. When he comes by me, I act like nothing's happened. Usually two or three trips of that, and possum deals over. But if you let them trip a few before you start, they're harder to break. They know the difference. Do you ever have a problem with any dogs out of your line of dogs that can't take correction that well? I don't know. If I did, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't keep breeding them because I can't stand that. Yeah. I see it in some other people's dogs that I hunt with and stuff, and it's hard to. 
it, it just makes training so much harder. Yeah. You, my dogs are just, they're not that way. I got one out here now. I've been working for a fella for four weeks. And I hate like the devil to talk to him about it. It's a red bone. Uh, he wanted me to keep it another month. I shouldn't have kept it as long as I have, probably, but it can't take correction. It's not doing good. He talked me into keeping it another month, but I'm not going to. I'm going to call him back because it's not. To, and he might go and make it a, a good dog out of it. I don't know how, but like I said, it's, I'm not that great of a trainer. It's just the, the dogs are easier to train. That's my opinion now, because I've had other lines of dogs here for other people. I got a little starting pen out here, and I have almost stopped fooling with dogs for other people because I just can't hardly deal with them. And just leading them from the pen out to the four-acre pen is a challenge. They tear your hands up, wrap you up, and just you know, it's just totally different from the dogs I got. Now, I'm not saying mine don't do some of that to begin with, but they learn quick. And a lot of these dogs from different bloodlines just take so much more to, they might be good in one department and then just crazy in others. These dogs are the smartest, keep saying they're smart. They are. So, d- did you ever have Buzz and Blaze collected? Yeah, I got some semen off of both of them. And. Have you used that much since they've been gone? I haven't. You haven't got any off of Blaze. A guy in Missouri uh, got some semen from me. He raised some a couple of years ago. Hadn't heard from him, but he raised nine uh, to begin with. Now, Buzz, we hadn't had too good luck. We got, me and, me and Barry you talked to, we got three puppies. They're a year old right now. His is doing super good, and he don't hunt like I do. A guy in Georgia or Alabama's got one. He says he can't get his to do nothing. Mine is a handful. He'll run in tree, but God, he's wild. I, I think he'll make a good dog if I don't get disgusted with him first. But he is a lot of dogs. And he's out of my my uh, big money female. He, the big money female is off of uh, a female that is off of Blaze, which was platinum champion. Uh, Timber Rock and Penny was her name. So she she produces some good pups. I've read her to Sam and the young dog I mentioned a while ago. Year and a half old was off of Sam and Miss, and I got her bred back to Duke right now. Conkey's Outdoors knows that keeping up with the latest in hunting technology can be expensive. That's why they are proud to offer amazing financing options from 30 days same as cash to 0% interest for 6, 9, 12, and even 18 months, depending on your credit score and the amount you spend. If you've been eyeballing that new thermal or want to upgrade to the latest in tracking system technology, go find out more on the web at conkeysoutdoors.com or if you're in the Hastings, Florida area, stop by and visit. They'd love to have you. Conkey's Outdoors. Houndsman. Helping houndsman. Okay. So, uh, and we were talking about, uh, you mentioned Duke right there, and, and we were talking about Blaze, and that'll kind of get us going to the next 
you know, line of the next generation of dogs, I guess you would say, is uh, Lucas and Duke would be the next two that were real successful that you owned. Or do you want to go on ahead and talk about them, or do you want to step back and talk about some of the females that you've owned? Because I know that Barry said that you also, you know, along with all these great male dogs that you've owned, you've also owned some really nice females, too, that off of those crosses. Well, uh, there was one mate to, uh, there was a different litter that Preston Hampton owned called Pace. She was a good one. Uh, she was like the, uh, Lynch and Blaze. Now, let's see, Lucas was a younger mate to Duke. And then Paint, you, you, I don't know if you ever heard Paint, but yeah, I know you had Eddie mention her. She was from the first cross that I made on the Mr. Clean female. The Mr. Clean female that I had that they was off of, she was she never was hunted. I mean, I had her in bred her, but and put her in my coon pen. She's running treat out there, but God, that was an ugly thing. That dog was ugly. Threw some pretty pups. Um, so Paint was first, Duke was next, and Lucas. And I'm really not that fond of repeat crosses. I've done it several times, and I've done it enough to know on my part that you don't get as many good dogs after the first time out of a litter. And Buzz Lynch was the first one I, I had to mention that to me, and then I noticed it myself. About What about the age of females? That's something I've heard from people at Breed. They also say that, you get better puppies from younger females. And then I've heard uh, other sides of that story. And then I've heard people only breed a female one time to the same dog. And what about all that, Mr. Mike? I like to breed them to different dogs each time. Uh, but now if I get a real good result the first time, I'll do it a second time. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not against it. It's just that I don't have as much faith in it the second time. Now, I think a younger female... You, I, I think you'll get better puppies from a younger female. If not, then breed the younger male to your older female. Try to do it like that. I, but now that's probably a lot of guessing, but that's just how I see it. And I've had good luck with that way. The older females don't do as good with the puppies or as raising them either. And if one's never been bred till it's five, six years old, a lot of times they don't do no good even raising the puppies. If they've been bred once, it don't matter if he's eight years old, they, they'll do all right. But if they haven't been bred up since they that that old, they usually lose them. I just bred a, just last year a nice six-year-old female that was off blaze. I bred to Sam, and she, she died when she was supposed to have the puppies. But there's another fellow had her, and he pulled around and let her go about 69 days after she was supposed to have the puppies. At 63 days, he started taking her hunting because he said her belly went down. But he seen some stuff in the lot that looked right, and I said, well, she's eating them puppies, or she's had them or something because her belly didn't go down. I seen a picture of her. I said, she, you need to get her to the vet. He went back to hunting her. He treated three coons with her one night and her with dead puppies in it. And took her to the vet and they said, well, she's got something in her. 
So they said it's going to cost us a thousand dollars to to do this operation. He called me. I said, I tell you what, best thing you can do is put the dog to sleep because she's a dead dog. You go spend your money if you want to. I'm not spending it. He said, Well, my wife said she'd spend the money. I said, Well, go ahead and she you can have the dog. I spent the money, brought her home. She was fine the next day. The next day she died. That doesn't set up an infection in there. And, you know, I done experienced it. If a puppy stays in a dog two or three days after she's supposed to have it, she's a dead dog. If you save her, it's a miracle. I mean, I didn't have $1,000 to waste, and me knowing it wasn't going to work. Somebody talking about raising puppies, uh, say, days gone by till now. How many litters did you used to raise a year, and how many uh, litters of puppies do you raise now? Is uh, any comparison? About the same. Most years I raise one or two litters. Now, this, this year is going to be more because I've been trying to get some puppies off of uh, Sam out there because I've seen off of his first two or three litters that they're looking good. And uh, I've bred some pretty nice females to him. He's bred to the paint female now. I mean, she's going, she's getting ahead of her pups. And I've bred him to a, fixing to breed him today to a scold female. I don't know a lot about the scold dog, but I heard that this dog that I got sister won the super state, the sophomore. Like, like like breeding Sam right now early uh, like that. Your stock of dogs, your line of dogs, nobody knows them like you do. Is this going to – do you think this breeding him now is going to affect his ability to hunt, or do you think he's just going to go right on? As of now, he's, he's not changed. You know, he don't pay, pay other dogs no attention. He's, he'll be by himself if something don't follow him. Now, if it affects him in other ways, I don't know. It don't, as far as being with a female, you know, following them or nothing like that, or letting it bother them. These dogs got so much hunting on their mind, they would probably hunt with the dog in heat. I mean, I really I really would think they probably would go hunting. I don't know about, I really believe they're going to a coon. Now, if she come to that tree where they were, they might mess with her, but I don't, I just don't believe they'd follow them because they just got getting out of here hunting on their mind so bad. So I don't believe it. Some people may have different opinions. I don't know. Yeah. So, circling back to uh, Lucas and Duke, uh, they were really, both of them were extremely successful and also paint. I know you said Duke had done his fair share of reproducing, and uh, didn't you say Sam was actually off of Duke? Yes, sir. Okay. So, what about, uh, how did Duke, was he about, you know, Duke and Lucas, were they about the same type of dog or were they, you know, what set them apart? Well, now, uh, Duke was a chop mouth dog in his early part of his life. Now, he started balling on the ground now. And he got a good locating, good chop on the tree. He's got a good mouth. Lucas had a high pitch, like a, it wasn't a scream, but a high pitch. It was a high-pitched ball, I guess. And uh, Lucas was a little bit of a moody-type dog around strange dogs, and Duke's not. Duke didn't meet no strangers. If they wanted to growl, he'd leave. You know, he'd go on hunting. It didn't matter. He wouldn't let it bother him. Lucas, 
if one bowed up and was growly, he he would kind of hair stand up on his back and he might growl a little bit, but he'd get by himself and get away from them. And he would he would blow back at a dog at the tree if it was messing with him. Duke wouldn't. I mean, they were they both really accurate now. But by Lucas being moody a little bit, the only really moody dog I've had, like kind of like he's concerned what he was hunting with, you know. If if everything was good, he really performed great. But if there was something kind of touchy or growly or he didn't like, he tried to. I, I believe he'd go off and just stay away from him more than he was really getting to yonder hunting. Where Duke did not pay none of that any attention. Now, Lucas, he. I guess I'm exaggerating, and that probably shouldn't have been mentioned because he, he was a nice dog. I sold him for a pretty good price the first time, the half of him to Mr. Sable, and then we sold him later for for a pretty good price. I think he's in Pennsylvania now. And when he was young, he'd bite you at the tree, too, getting excited, you know. Well, I'd say bite you, nip at you. I think he's being friendly, but Duke, he never done none of that. Did, did y'all ever breed Lucas? Bred him one time, and uh, I got a pup, and a guy in Far City's got him now. Made a pretty good dog. He had a totally different mouth. He had a big hound mouth, and it just looked different. You know, didn't look or nothing like Lucas did, but a real nice houndy. And Lucas was a houndy looking dog too, but this was just a lot prettier dog. Lucas had some kicks on him. Or Duke don't, and uh, this dog didn't. He's bred to a clover bred dog. Now, the guy that bought him for me this last time bred him, and this guy called me the other day about, said he had one of the pups, and it was over, a little over a year old, said it was doing really good. I'd say he reproduced. I just was breeding Duke, and just I never did breed him. And one of the reasons I didn't was no sooner it's cause he would growl back at a dog if a dog got growly. That's embarrassing to me. Well, Mr. Mike, like uh now you correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think when you and Mr. Roger become partners, it was uh about Duke's time that what what caught Mr. Roger Shable's attention about Duke and, and how did y'all become partners? Well, we were uh, you know, he bought paint from me. And uh, we were up there at the, at the World Hunt. He bought him just before the hunt. Bought half of him. I don't know. But uh, there's a guy come to me and told me that, I mean, right there at the hunt, I don't know if Roger told him or what, but he come to me and said, Roger's going to approach you. He's going to try to buy a Duke from you. He's okay. And he came over and Asked me, uh, what would I sell half of? How did I want to do it? Sell him? Or I said, well, I don't want to sell him. He said, Will you sell half of him? I said, Yeah, maybe. And uh, we got together right there, and he said, Well, I'll, I'll send you a check. Well, he collected almost as much as the world hunter as he paid for half of him. You know that? So that's when I finished in the final 
three. So uh, that's how we started. And Buddy, it's been a good relationship. That is a good man. Absolutely. Billy Bell told us a story when we was talking to him. I don't know if you've experienced that, but said uh, Mr. Roger asked him about going to hunt, and Billy said, yeah, and said he uh, had his pilot land that plane and pick Billy up, and they, they went to hunt. I said, Billy, ain't you something? Now, Billy, I think, is his main man. I mean, really, I don't mean that in a bad way, because th- Billy's done. He's a, Billy's a good man. Absolutely. Know? And and they're just, because I asked Billy once in a while, do you talk to Roger much? I don't talk to him too much. And I bought a dog for him last week, week before last, and uh, he wanted me to buy it. And the guy that sold it wanted me to do the dealings with him. So they went through me, and I ain't going to say how much and all, but you'll hear about it probably. The biggest transaction I ever made. <laughs> and uh, I got him a dog. Well, he bought uh, Riley from uh, Bruce Raven to make the jail cell. And uh, they, they both wanted me to do it. And I did. They both, like, you know, they said, we trust you. And Bruce wanted to go through me and. And I, I'm, I guess Roger did because he called me and said, I want to buy her. Well, you call him. I tried to get her a whole lot for a whole lot less than, uh, you know, than what he even said he'd give. But Bruce was set on his what he wanted. But uh, I just hope the dog suits him. She's a nice dog. I hunted with her a lot last year. Ty Henson brought her up here. And, uh, he seems to think she's a better dog than jail cell. I didn't know it was jail cell enough to know, you know, but they're both nice dogs. So kind of going back to uh, Billy Bell and you, the the year that you won the Super Stakes with Duke, now correct me if I'm wrong, was that the year that Billy was in the finals with the paint dog too? It is, yeah. And, I mean, that speaks volumes to me that you had two dogs you know, out of yours and the both of them in the finals. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. And then the Festus dog, or that was in the World Hunt where the Festus dog and Duke were hunting Blaze. against each other. Oh, that was Blaze. Blaze, Blaze yeah. Okay, okay. I've been a father and a son. That Festus dog was a good one. He was he was a moody type dog. Uh, there was a guy trained him on a mule that hunted him on mules, and uh, I think that probably kept him from being the world champion because of the habits he had developed, you know. He'd get out yonder. Now, he was a good dog, don't get me wrong, but he'd get out yonder and stand at, in light distance and like he's waiting on you to come on sometime. And I think that's what happened with the mules. I hunted with him one night before Ernie got him with that guy. And uh, that's the way he hunted. But now Ernie changed him a lot. He got him where he he worked pretty good. But now that sucker there could trace some things though. But yeah, the the paint dog. I mean, I raised and trained her, and I sold her when she was about a year old, and bought her back when she was about a year and a half. And that guy had hundreds of them and got her got her started a little bit. But I finished her. She was a nice one. That boy's got her now. Thanks to all of them. Well, she's about, she's getting about nine years old. 
But he said she's the best and he she's the best and he out ever on. Tell me what it was like to win the super stakes with Duke, and then we'll we'll move on a little bit. Well, it was kind of a well. I had some I had some bad luck after the third round. I won the third round, and I had a sister that was in the hospital. And when I left the company super stake, I didn't think she'd live till I got back. Well, she passed away, and I had to come home. So I asked Justin. Anyway, he hunted in the last two rounds, so it would have been much better. I've got to stay in hunting, but I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a good feeling, but here I was at a funeral with my sister, so it, it's kind of bittersweet, I guess. I got a question for you, Mr. Mike. I, I know you won two Super Stakes, which that's awesome, but uh, if you had either one of those dogs and you won the Super Stakes with both of them, which one, if you was taken to Super Stakes today, if they were eligible, which one of those two dogs would you take today, and what was, what would make you say that about him? If I had to take either one of them two, sir. Yes, sir. Either one of those two, and they both Super Stake champions. Which one would you uh, like to know you was going to the Super Stakes with now, that if they were ready? That's a pretty tough question because they both look good during the whole thing, and but now both of them dogs were super tough when they were young. You know, when I finished, when I, I'm, I'm forward natural, I reckon. But, you know, I had Robert Raxter when I won with Lynch. Robert, don't call it, the guy that just had the heart attack. I don't know how he's doing now. I heard about it when I was at the Super State. So, that hunted the Zeb 3 dog. What's his name? It's at 63 and 65. Uh, he hunted Homer all over the world, Jeff Travis. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Travis. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had him with Homer. And uh, David Dial was judging. I forget the other guy, but it's not a tough casting. And Lance looked good. And, but I do look, I'd have to say Duke, I guess. And he walked right through it. Just easy. I mean, things fell together, you know, had to. But I'm not taking nothing from Lance. He was a nice dog. I like the way. Uh, Duke operated a little better. He, I mean, I could call him better because he, you know, Lynch chopped all the way. He's a little bit tougher to call if you were hunting with dogs. But they both would have the coons. Well, and, and Duke's still a nice dog. I still win with Duke. But I got these younger dogs that I feel like I need to take more than him. I should have had him at the bigger hunts. But when you I get one of these dogs like this, when do you know it's time to move on or this right here could be the real your next dog in line how how long does it take you to know mr mike what's going to be your next dog in line by the time it's a year and a half old i know whether i'm gonna be able to win with them or not and when one quits trying to win i quit taking it i mean some of them get burnt out you know that uh, I got another question about your stock of dogs. I've seen some that dogs that would tree before they run, some that would run before they tree. Uh, does your stock of dogs, how do they usually start? Do it both at the same time or one before no, they They run before they tree. When they first start treeing, they're usually pretty dang accurate because, uh, like I said, they run before they, they tree and 
I think that gives them advantage on being accurate because they, they've learned how to run a track, you know, and they just don't fall up on trees like some dogs do. They check it out good for they And it takes a little while for my young dogs to settle on trees. I mean, because I guess that's why they are accurate. You know, they don't just, just because they smell scent, go to training like everything. They sort of uh, work their way into it. So if you got uh, one of your bloodlines, Mr. Mike, and say that dude starts missing a little bit, do you immediately, uh, what would your first step do if he does start missing a little bit your bloodline? Well, I just, uh, you know, talk a little rough to him and get him off that tree and recut him and, uh, you know, do that repeatedly. And if, it, if he don't, if it gets worse, I just get rougher on him. And I just haven't had had a lot of problem with them missing a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had them miss and, and miss more than I like. But you got to dis- discipline the dog according to the dog because uh, some of them's more tender than others. I got one now, the young female I got. You got to work with her a little different than you do some of the other ones. She's not real tender, but you can't get on her real hard like some of the males that I've had. They don't take as much, you know. you got to do it accordingly to the dog's temperament. So, you know, you, you tell what they take before you ever get that far along around the lot and handling and stuff. I can. I mean, if I've handled them, as they're growing up, I just kind of test all that stuff, you know, on the leash. And and if, if one can't take much of jerking on the leash, you know, and just when you're trying to load them, see how they react. And some of them get plumb shy, you know. I mean, some dogs do. And some's digging, try, climbing, trying to get in. I just see what the dog can take and work them accordingly about that tree and if they tree and wrong. But I haven't had a whole lot of trouble them starting off tree and wrong. I mean, it's kind of strange, I guess, but most times I have a dog that's starting and it trees, it's usually a cone setting up there. It's always been that way. And what age do you do you start your pups? or And do you let them run loose while they're young, run a little junk? You know, what age do you really get them going? I start taking mine about six months old, but now I get them prepared to go. I got a, I got a big pen out here I keep them in, and I, you know, put collars on them when they're about three months old, and start leading them, putting them out here in my coon pen, and uh, I won't take them to the woods much until they're six months old, but I take them and maybe turn a coon, show them a coon, turn a coon loose. First of all, you know, show them a hide. And I might turn a couple of coons loose and see how they do. And, and I don't really want them to go the first time I, I take them with another dog because they can't keep up with these dogs I got, period. They just, most year old dogs that haven't been hunted won't stay with them. They get away from them. But I, I try to keep them around the truck the first few times I go. By the time they're eight, nine months old, I expect them to be going with the dogs. These dogs I got not dogs. They're not pup trainers. They they hunt so fast they can't they can't stay with them till they're about ten, eleven months old. Maybe 
If he's fat, he can't then. But I start them when they're about six or seven months, something like that. But getting one prepared to go is really important. You know, having him ready to, you know, used to riding and loading. I mean, I don't expect them to load, but just riding them around, loading them up, unloading them. I got some cows. I take them down around the cows and introduce them to them and to creek. Just get them used to the woods and stuff before you ever take them. So, and you've mentioned him a couple of times here, and we've been kind of uh, evasive to it because we kind of want to go in order. But Mr. Barry tells me you got a young dog up there that's you feel is probably your best that might be your end up being your best reproducer and that you really, really like him. So, uh, I want you to really tell me about old Sam you got up there and what makes him so special and some of the puppies you got off of him and everything else. Well, he's, he's a really nice dog. I've been really disappointed because I hadn't done no better with him the last two or three hunts I went to because he, he trees coons. He, he stays out of trouble. He's, well, I I got him when he was about nine to ten months old. I let a friend of mine have him. He's blanket back, beautiful dog. Had two of them. One of them was open spotted, and they go back to school and Fred on the mama's side. So, well, <clears throat> one of them looked like Fred. So I was gonna keep him. And when my buddy come over here, he, he looked at him and he said, man, I really like that blanket back one. I said, that fucker's too pretty to make a good dog. Take him with you. He took him, kicked him till he was nine months, ten months old, and got him lightly started. And uh, he was just too big a hunter for him. He, he, he was crossing roads around here hunting, and he couldn't keep up with him. And somebody told him, he said, you better let Mike have that dog. You're going to fool around and get him killed. And uh, so he did. I got him, and as soon as I, I left him, I went up the road with Lucas and that Sam, turned them loose. They went in there and split. Both of them had a coon. And I don't think he had treated no coon for him yet, but he did have him before he turned uh, a turn loose coon in the tree on it. Do pretty good. And I had done seen then I liked him way before he decided to let me have him. And uh, but he just he progressed real good. He he's by himself. He don't fool with nothing but coons. He just I just wish he'd strike quicker. He barks plenty on the ground, but he just don't open quick enough to begin with to just the win with these dogs I've been hunting against. That's what's been killing me. But um he. I had some bad luck with him last year. I don't know if Barry told you. I, uh, a coon bit him, and he got coon paralysis. He stayed down in my living room here for two and a half months, paralyzed. Nothing but his neck would move and head. It was a mess. I was getting to the point I was about to put him down, and we got him up, got him in a like a big baby stroller, and got that rascal got potty trained after I got him that thing. He he let me know when he needed to go outside. And uh, went out there one day when he was starting to walk. Well, he was I laid him on the ground because it was warmed up that day, and 
couple hours, I went back out there and looked, and he was gone. I go down there, and he's way down below my dog lot down there. I don't know where he went. It hadn't been from a coon pen. He got down there and got against it. But uh, from then on, we got him walking, got him back up. It, it's only been just a little over a year, and he's at least 95% back to where he was. His voice is like it's, it's not as clear as it was. As I wish it was, but he's still got a good mouth, but it's just not quite what it was. But he's reproducing. There's some dogs around here that's looking real good off of it. I got a young dog like this a year and a half off of him. I think a lot of it. I hunted her one night last week. We don't have a bunch of coons, but you'd think so from what I'm fixing to tell you. A female, got a good mouth, big hunter, made 11 trees. I saw eight coons, but I hunted from 10 o'clock to 4 that morning. That's a puff off of him. And then there's a mate to him that's a male my buddy hunts is just as nice as she is. And there's several more around here off of Sam that just looking good. It's a little older than that, some younger. But I'm thinking he might be my best producer right now. And have you have you seen a particular line of dogs that crosses well on yours or do you do you do good with the line breeding back to your stuff what do you think works the best and how is sam i know you say with schooner river fred on the bottom uh does he have any slow talking on his bottom no no he don't um i i like the insane game breeding i've, I've crossed each dog i've of the last three, uh, Buzz, Blaze, and Sam with some insane cane female, and they all three produced good with it. But Sam, one of the first ones, one of the first ones I bred Sam to had four or five puppies. I know where four of them are, and they all four nice dogs. They're 18, 19, 20 months old now. I don't own any of them, but I did, and ended up selling them, but, uh, I'm hearing from them, you know. Midwestern Laser Works is a small business dedicated to providing top-tier laser engraving services to their valued customers with quality and satisfaction as their top priority. If you're in need of any custom laser engraved services, please do not hesitate to contact Midwestern Laser Works today. There's no order too large, no order too small. Everything from tumblers to business cards you can find out more on Facebook. Find them at Midwest Laser Works. Contact owner Bryce Matthews for more information. There's a link in the description box below. And plus, Barry's got one now that's nice. It's a line breed. I like line breeding now. They do good. I've had good luck with that. And he's a, I believe he's just going to be a dominant reproducer. And that rascal hunts. He'll go hunting when you unsnap. When you unsnap him, and either dog I got, either one of the four, they leave running as fast as they can run. That's how they hunt. I mean, they don't stop to pee. Or, and you can send one one way and one the other, or just hunt them anyhow you want to. If you want them to come back, I can get them back. Uh, you know, it's just it's a pleasure to hunt them. Now, 
correct me if I'm wrong. You, you don't really seem like you live in the past very much. Seems like you're always looking forward. You know, you, you thought you really think a lot of this Sam dog and this your, this generation of dogs. And, you know, it don't really even seem like you want to go back and breed to that buzz semen, really. You know what I mean? You don't really have any reason to, right? That's right. That's when some people comes and talks about wanting to breed the, you know, one of them back then. I said, look, this dog here's reproducing, and he, he's here. And it's going to cost you a bunch of money to breed to that semen. And you ain't going to get no better dogs. And that's how I feel. And I'm, I feel sure of it. I mean, don't get me wrong, people. A lot of people know me, I guess, from Buzz and Blaze. But now I do want some more pups off Blaze. I've had some off Buzz, but I want some more off Blaze. I intend to do that when I get a bitch that maybe this big money female I got, or possibly the younger female breed back to Blaze. But guys, that costs so much. I'm a poor man. Uh. This last breeding that we did with the buzz semen on the big money female, it cost me and two other guys we had to go together. It cost us $2,800 the time we were done. And uh, didn't get but three puppies. So, I mean, it's a gamble. But I know I don't, I, I, I am looking for the future. I'm, I'm always looking for something better than I've had. That's my goal. I want to win another major hunt. Well, I think I think it sounds like you're on the right track for sure. And I, I'm going to say, say this kind of, this is, I know you said you hadn't ever listened to podcasts. We did an interview with Mr. Wimp Aaron, and his philosophy on the whole semen thing was if, you know, and he was talking about Bart. He said, well, Bart had 1,200 puppies. He said, if Bart didn't produce anything good enough for me to breed to, I probably shouldn't have been breeding to him to begin with, you know? And that was his philosophy on not using semen and all that. And I know that that's probably a little bit different from yours, but that was just kind of what he was saying. It makes a lot of sense, you know, and kind of like what you were saying, you know, it seemed like yours got better every generation. And if your breeding program's right, that's how it's supposed to be, right? Yeah, they definitely have got better. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I'm hard to please in the dog. I'm, I'm just always looking. I want one better than I had before. I'm excited about this little female I got right now. She she does it all. She's got one problem. And I'm hoping and praying that, that it'll work itself out. She, she don't. If she gets treated in yonder, she's going to get off by herself. If she gets treated, if another dog comes to her, now if a dog she knows, she's got to where she'll treat with her. But if another dog, if somebody comes to go hunt with me, another dog comes in there and it's a little bit pushy, she'll get out and leave. But she will have the cunning. And a nice tree dog, big mouth, a super nice dog. I mean, that's the only problem she's got. But she's getting better. She last week she treated with a strange dog three different times and treated good. So yeah, I don't know, really know what to do, but I'm just letting her get some more age on her and see. If she don't get to where she does like I like, I ain't gonna send her on. Because uh, that'll come back to me. Yeah. 
And uh, you, you said early on in the show that you had uh, <clears throat> some issues with your feet. And I know Mr. Barry was telling me that and how it, it really, it hurts you to hunt. I mean, that's, that's, you know, uh, far as your feet go, but how do you keep so many dogs hunted up and what, what makes you, what drives you with these dogs? I mean, that's, you know, from the way he talked, he said you were the hardest hunter he knew and that it, it literally physically hurts you to have to hunt, you know, because of your feet. So, I mean, just talk a little bit about that and talk about that drive that you have and how you keep these dogs hunted up when the rest of us are sitting on the couch, drinking Cokes, watching TV, you're out there hunting. Well, that's, I guess that's just the love for it. I don't know. I don't enjoy hunting older dogs like I do the young one. This, this young female that I just told you about is what keeps me going. I don't, these other dogs don't get hunted as much as they should. Now, I do keep them hunted up. Don't get me wrong. I, they get hunted several times a week, but I live close to where I'm hunting, luckily. I don't have a lot of hunting here, but I got enough to, where I can come back to the house and get another dog. And, um, I got me a lounge chair in, the, in my toolbox, and I don't get to sit in it much, but if they're gone long and don't tree, I'll sit down in that chair. And uh, when they tree, I'll jump up and go closest place I can to get to them and go in there and recut them and go back. And, and sometimes I'll sit in my truck. Now, I'm not probably not as tough as people think because I sit down every chance I get. Uh, and rest, you know, because my feet, my doctor seen my feet last month. Hadn't seen them in a while. He looked at them and he said, Lord mercy, what is that? What, what, what's called that? I got kind of big calcium lumps, like where bones are healed in top of my feet. Well, this was the pain doctor. She had never seen them, I don't think. He said, I said, that's what you, giving me this uh, uh, gabapentin and stuff for. She said, I didn't know they were that bad. I said, well, you've been writing me prescriptions for a year. She said, you must have a high pain tolerance. I said, well, maybe I do, but I still hurt. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be hunting. Back when I won that first Super State with Lynch, when I when I come back in, my feet be hurting so bad. My wife in the motel would heat towels in that microwave, hot as she could, and wet them, and wrap them around my feet to get them to quit hurting. And on the way to that super state, they hadn't diagnosed me with what was wrong at that time. They, this doctor had been treating me for gout for two years. And I didn't have gout. And uh, he had shot some, uh, was it cortisone, in, in my feet before I left to come to that super state that, that very time. And uh, then after I won the super state and got home, you know, my, that's what, what's ha- this is what happened, I'll tell you. I went to Duke University finally after going to several doctors and finding out that I had something they call Charcot Marie Tooth. And I said, how in the world are you come up with a name like that? I said, well, the Charcot, something like the stuff between your bones anyway, the cushion, I forget what you call it. 
But anyway, I said the Marie Tooth, a woman had this years and years and years ago, and we named it after her. We don't said we don't know a whole lot about this. And I'm gonna tell you what the what what it actually is. Uh, the motor nerves in my legs, the when they all when it's all said and done after three, four, five years of going back and forth, putting braces on my legs and all kinds of insoles in my shoes, buying different kinds of shoes and mess. This last doctor told me that the motor nerve in your legs said look at it like a wire up here on that pole. That they said that coating on that wire, you got a coating on your nerve. He said yours is deteriorated. And he said it's let the ligaments and leaders relax down to the bones in your feet and and let the bones move. And he said they broke. He said a bunch of tiny bones have broken your feet. I said, man, I've been walking like that. I said, I've been running. I've been going through the woods, jumping ditches and going through swamps. He said, well, you won't. He said, six months from now, you won't be walking through no more swamps. I said, really? He said, no. He said, a lot of people in wheelchairs got what you got. Man, I about cried. But I said, you, you obviously don't know who I am. I'm not going to quit walking. I hadn't yet. But now my feet are in bad shape. But in dog's tree, I can get up and move. I can't keep up with them competition hunters as good as I used to, but I can still stay with them. It's just a lot more effort. If you got to drive, you know, I'll be about running, but them young boys can move. But anyway, that's what's wrong with my feet. And I won every major event I've won since I was diagnosed with this. But the thing about it is, it's run its course. And I just got to deal with, they told me that last video, they said that you either got to deal with it or we can operate. He said, but you don't want us to, and we don't want to. We can mess you up worse than you are. They said, go as long as you can go. Keep doing what you were doing. And that's what I'm doing. So I don't, I don't get out there and walk all night. I mean, I may go make seven or eight trees. I'm going to out when it's over, but I'm disabled, so I come home, sleep to about 10 the next morning, get up and do my chores, and I got a few cows, and these old dogs keep me busy in this yard work, so my wife's retired from the post office, live out the rest of my life hunting these old dogs. Uh, I'll tell you, Mr. Mike, uh, that combination of heart and desire is uh what's carrying you through that and uh i'm sure glad you're still able to go uh i want to ask you a question about your about your uh dogs though another question about them are are you just letting friends and yourself breed to your dogs or are you offering them for public stud or or where are you at on that yeah i'm i'm letting people uh, i don't offer public stud i mean there's a few people breed to them not a bunch, but they've been some of the bigger name boys bringing their dogs here recently. You know, uh, Ashley Oxidine, he brought the Hills dog up here a couple months ago. So he didn't get but one puppy off of Duke. And, uh, you know, 
And I wanted to mention too, uh, there was another guy called me before the Super State wanted to do a, one of these podcasts, uh, Daniel Felker. Do you know him? He's from down here below me. And I told him, oh, I said, yeah, it'd be fine. Uh, but he never did call me back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know Daniel. He hosts the uh, Coon Hunting Confidentials uh, podcast. It's uh, a little different than what we do here at Coon Hunting University. But, uh, yeah, I know Dan. I don't know Daniel, but I mean, I know, I know of him. Uh, yeah, he has a podcast too. Yes, sir. Okay. I wanted to tell you how much, uh, Mr. Barry Feldbeck's helped me in the past with my dogs, with my puppies, and the whole everything. He, he really loved them. And, uh, I thank Mr. Roger Shable. He was sent from heaven. All I can say. He's a good man. And, He's helped me a bunch. Yeah, that that's that's great. You got to have a support system, man. Like you were saying, uh, I, I got I kind of got a question here. You know, you were talking about. I think it's crazy that you you go to you said that. Well, I don't go as much as you used to. I only make seven or eight trees a night, man. That's that that's pretty impressive. Uh, if competition hunting ended today, would you still hunt? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoy pleasure hunting. I, I'd competition hunt every night if it was one close. But it, it, that's not why I hunt. Now, I'm not, it's not as important, as important for me to win now as it was at one time because I just go out and, and when I do go on a hunt, I go out more to, I'm not as hungry to win as a lot of these boys, and I, I kind of look at them like I used to be myself. You know, I, I don't hate to lose. I shake the people's hands, and I try to be friends and try to be nice to them, regardless of how they act. I've been with all kinds, and I've acted pretty bad myself in some cast way back. You know, get aggravated because of the way people are doing, but it's not as important for me to win. And I want to win, don't get me wrong, but losing don't bother me. It's going to go the way it's going to go. Just let it fall wherever and, and leave Jake Mad's hand. Try to leave a good impression. Oh, how much does it mean to you to see dogs? off of the slow talking line winning that maybe you didn't even have anything to do with you might have just bred the female and then you know this guy's got a dog let's just use duke for an example and he's winning with this dog does that does that mean a lot to you too to see people you know carrying on that line and wanting to breed to your dogs and wanting to hunt the dogs off of your dogs yes sir it makes me feel good because that's it's really what i wanted most of my life i said when my dad died 40-something years ago that I was going to win with these dogs. I said, I'm going I'm to hunt them and, and breed them until I, got, I can breed them to where they can and will win. And, yeah, oh, yeah, it makes me feel good to see, like, uh, that burden guy that won at the $100,000 hunt. Because, uh, I mean, to me, he's an underdog. He, he got that dog. I gave that dog to Barry. And uh, Barry sold it to, let's see, Jimmy Burden's brother. I know. Uh, Scotty Burden. Yeah. And he seemed like a nice guy, too. 
Mr. Mike, I got a, I got a couple questions for you. I mean, this breeding program you got through the years is awesome, but I'm going to just tell you, as a handler, you have uh, done a great job also. So if a youngster walked up to you today and said, Mike, explain to me, Mr. Mike, what is a good handler? What makes a good handler? And uh, what is a good judge? And what makes a good judge? What would you tell that youngster? I tell him what makes a good handler is to uh, know your dog, be a good team with it, take your minus when your minus is due. And when, you know, there's time to question things, and you just need to read the rules before you ever go and, and study them because that way you can protect yourself against the ones that want to do you wrong. And to be a good judge, you need to uh, judge the best for your knowledge. I mean, go by the rules, minus treat everybody the same, minus your dog just like you would his, and just be honest. Being honest is the biggest thing in both. And if you th- if you think you're right, stick with it. Don't let people talk. You know, don't be a weak judge. I hate to be with a weak judge that, that don't judge it right. I want them to treat me just like they do the other people. And uh, to be a good, I just call my dog. I don't, I don't try. I tell them don't call other people's dogs. Don't pitch your dogs. Call your dog for what it does, and you're probably going to do good if you got a good dog. And uh, if you got to cheat, you don't have a good dog. All right, I got another question for you, Mr. Mike. Me and Tyler are always enjoying asking this question to people that we talk to. If you was the rule man, didn't have to vote about it, talk about it, what rules in PKC would you uh, maybe add to, change, stop, or what would be something that has your attention that you would uh, do and the PKC rules, you ain't got to call anybody. We ain't got to vote. You make the decision. Well, I don't know how to, I don't know how we would change this to fix it, but the bad with dogs is, and I don't really know what, what, how to do it, but they're the biggest problem. And I don't, I don't guess that's to answer your question, but if we could change that rule to work, it would, well, let me back up. I do know. I would I would change the strike to where everybody struck for a quarter. And that might be a dumb thing to say, but I just feel like it would would you would come up with better cone dogs. I mean, what's the dog that's babbling stealing points? I mean, that's fake. And and if a man's got one like that, I'm not criticizing nobody or nothing, you know. But I just don't think the dog Barking out of places, striking coons, and why is he getting points for it? Only the people that's got babbling dogs is the ones that want, want babbling dogs. Because my dogs, that's my problem. I, I got weak strike dogs. And I'd like them to strike a little quicker, but but, I, but not to the point of babbling. I don't want one of these that people got for sale that they say, 
uh, he he's the first strike dog. He's the first when he tells me that I know what he is. But that's what I would do. I would change it. Yes, sir. Uh, don't worry about strike per quarter. Uh, I got a couple more questions I'm going to ask you. Uh, this youth, I enjoy these youth coming into our sport. Have you got any uh, idea of something that could be added or done differently or just an idea of how we could bring and keep more youth in our sport? I'm not sure, but I got a youth that hunts with me. It's not my grandson either. He's not as interested, but that's a good question too. I don't know unless we have more youth cast at the at the hunts, but we their numbers are so low it's hard to there's not enough youth to come to our club, you know. I'd love to see a youth cast. I'd take them out and not hunt myself if we had four and judge them if they if needed to. But we don't have but one or two comes. But I think that would be great if or either at the bigger hunts, you know, there'd be probably be enough to hunt some youth cast. Yes, sir. I mean, that, that's what I think. Now, uh, I've thought about having, doing stuff at the club for the youth for several years, and every time I come up with something, it's just no, nobody's interested in doing it. You know, so just don't have no faith in it working, so. Well, Mr. Mike, uh, what club is that now? Cause tell it, say it right now on this platform and, uh, that way everybody can hear it. And that way, if the folks do want to help you and to help get them, get involved in that and y'all get a little hunt going over there, y'all can do that. Cause I mean, this is a good platform to use that. And I'd like you to use that, use this platform for that. This is a York County Coon club. It's right here below my house about 15 minutes, 10 minutes, maybe. So you know we want we want to have uh do something for the youth, because they they important. Yeah, for for sure they they really are. I mean, it's the future, and that look anybody listen to this that if you want to get involved in that and you want to help up, Mister Mike, who's I mean obviously you're a legend in the sport and a, a great contributor to the sport, and I, I'd love to see y'all get a youth hunt kicked off up there. So anybody that listen to this that would go help y'all out i mean i know there is somebody some people listen i'd help any way i could here from mississippi i know mr eddie would too and i think mr eddie's got uh one more question for you but i did want you to plug that in there that way if somebody is listening to this and they they say well i can i think i can help some you know and y'all might get a team together up there mr mike yeah sounds good i appreciate that sure uh We've been blessed, me and you, to be able to do this for a few years with the friends and the memories. But uh, looking back in the times when we first started in this, what do you miss most? What 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 do you think has kind of slipped away that was so important in competition or hunting or or in our sport? What do you what, what do you miss the most? Well, I guess the we don't have the crowds that we used to. You know, I, I kind of miss the parking lot being full and being being able to talk to more people, but I really don't know how to answer it. You're saying, I, like, I, you kind of miss the fellowship of it all? Yeah, yeah, I do. The, these bigger hunts, it, it just seems like everybody's all business, you know. 
and it should be a a big gathering of friends, you know, I think. But I still enjoy the ones I go to. I don't go to a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and to that, do you, your coon club over there, do y'all still have the, the good, strong club atmosphere like that used to be back in the day, or is that kind of going away for y'all too? Yeah, it's kind of gone away. We just, we don't draw many people anymore. And, and what comes, we get along good. We don't have no problems. I usually guide the couple of casts that comes. The, the, the clubs don't, don't seem to join and help each other. You know, it's just one little family. Like we got one over here at Union. They want to come occasionally and, one at Rock Hill over there, they don't they don't ever come over here. And I kind of missed the yeah, I missed the the crowd that we used to have. I mean, back in the UKC days, and I don't hunt UKC much, but I probably will now that uh, they're having the tournament of champions, you know. But but I like PKC. I just always have not down on UKC. Don't get me wrong. It's just a, well, I say that and then contradict myself. But I just like PKC. Always have since I started hunting it. But I was riding there with the UKC hundred years ago. That's all I hunted. Loved it when a trophy. And when they said we was going to start hunting for money, there's going to be fighting and all that kind of stuff. We don't have near the arguments they have down there. Just Walker days they got. My goodness, I've hunted that thing the last few years and it was a mess. The UKC, but. I'm mostly the hunt and train dogs. I'm not too big in the hunts. Matter of fact, David Falls has been handling my dogs lately. I've just been going along. He, he likes to handle them, and I'm enjoying riding along, talking to the people. But I appreciate what y'all done, and I don't feel like I'm no legend. I just I just love to hunt. It's dark. I'm going to be going in a little bit. And, you know, I think... Uh... I think that the people that are listening to this are really, really going to get a reality check on their, when they call themselves hard hunters. I, I will say that, you know, and I, uh, the, the drive and the heart that you have for it's just, you know, and that, that passes along to your dogs, obviously, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm at a loss for words, really. I am in a, we we got i know we've kept you we're two hours and five minutes mr mike and we got two more questions for you and then we're going to let you you know shout out whoever you want mr eddie's got got one and i got one more for you okay. so uh, yeah well i i want to say this mike i i definitely enjoyed talking to you at the hunts and miss Susie and we've definitely had some good conversations we've talked about life dogs god salvation and I have uh, enjoyed that. And a man with the heart and desire you have and uh, the breeding you've done and the events you've won and the love you have for this sport, I think if you look up the word legend in a sport in a dictionary, uh, your name is going to be there. Uh, I guarantee you, you have uh, done excellent. Well, here's my, here's one. If you could call back all the dogs you've owned, and I know you like going to the future. We, our hope is in the future, but, uh, out of all of them, 
which one would you like to take to the world hunt this year? Blaze. And the ones in the past or future? Uh, past? Well, a dog, any dog you could take to the world hunt in their prime of all the dogs you've owned, it would, uh, sounds like blaze would be the one you'd want to show up at yeah. the world hunt with. And what just yeah. made him, just give me something simple that made him your choice out of all the good hounds you've had. Well, it wasn't it wasn't an easy choice because I I got some that could that was probably faster and you know I wanted to say Ruger but our Buzz but you know Duke too but I don't know he's far as a balanced all around coon dog I just think I, that's the one I take in his prime. I think it. I mean, I think he'd do as good as any of them. Not saying, not taking nothing from the other ones. And you meant to say something about me, about the legend. I got a lot of respect for you too, Mister Eddie. Uh, I love. I, I think a lot of people that loves God. I I try to live the best I can. I I only been saved. Uh, I don't know six seven years, but and it's tough at times, but. I quit all my old ways and try to live much better each day. And I love God. And uh, just pray for my family and my wake up every morning thinking about the next night. Just I'm just coon hunting crazy. And love my family, love my dogs. And I, I just... Thank the world of people that treats me right. And that, you know, there's not a lot of, there's a lot going on in the world today. And sorry, I couldn't answer all your questions right off. And maybe like I should have just, I'm like the fellow said just now, it's kind of lost words sometimes. Hey, you did an outstanding job, Mr. Mike. And I've really, really enjoyed this. And I, I just wanted to kind of let you get a plug in there. You know, if people, People listen to this, and I know that there's going to be some. You're going to be getting some phone calls after this. I can tell you. Um, how, how do you have any puppies available? Do you, you know, how would somebody that is interested in this line of dogs? How do they go about getting a puppy? Uh, you know, can they contact you to get a puppy? You know, what I mean, because I, I just have a feeling that people are going to hear this, and they're going to they're going to be, it's going to pique their interest in in your line yeah, of dogs. Got- yeah, I got several females bred right now, and all of them's not mine, but a couple of them are. And uh, I make deals with some people sometimes. Uh, I mean, I get buy half of their litters. I may buy them all. So I just uh, I call me and book them, and uh, you know I just stay in touch with them till they till they're ready, and then we come get them. Just call me and I'll, we'll make arrangements. I got several litters on the way now. Yeah, that's great. That really is. Um, one off of a pack rat female, and uh, she her mom was off a bone collector. <clears throat> I got my female bred to Duke. Um, I can breed a skull wrangler skull female today. So, and there's some more folks bred too, so they might get some one from somebody else or me. 
can fix them up usually. I'm going to have more puppies this year than I usually do. Well, hey, we might so, be might be doing this podcast at a good time then. That's right. Um, yeah, I appreciate what y'all doing. Man, I, I appreciate your time. Mr. Mike, coming on here, I know Mr. Eddie's going to close it out, but Mr. Mike, I really do thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story. And I mean, we didn't even really get into the nitty-gritty of it to be honest with you, you know, we didn't have enough time. I mean, there's just, you can't put, you know, 60 years in, in two hours, right? I mean, it's it's impossible. Yeah. But uh, you did an outstanding job, and you gave some great answers, and I, I think folks are really, really going to love this. I really do. And I, I thank you so much for coming on here and, you know, talking about everything. And uh, you've kind of inspired me even, uh, the – the drive that you have and the want to to hunt is just i mean second to none i mean i, I don't i don't personally know of anybody that w- would still be hunting you know i mean if if they had to overcome the challenges that you you have to overcome every night and i think that's that's just it shows a lot really does and i know mr well, eddie's gonna close it but yes sir thank you. you and your time too thank well, you uh, much Mr. Mike, we uh, definitely enjoyed it, and uh, I tell you, it, it, it's been a good time as always to talk to you, and I would just like to remind everybody that listens to this, and like Mike talks about the Lord being in his life, uh, I have to remind myself, and I'd like to remind everybody else we would, that Almighty God loves us. Uh, he created the heavens, the earth, the universe, and he created us, but we are his most prized possession. And he wants to have a relationship with us every day. He's offered us to talk to him through prayer every day. He's offered to let us listen to his word every day by reading uh, the Bible. And uh, Jesus Christ, his son, died for all our sins. Every law that we broke of God's can be forgiven by Jesus. He told us that uh, if we'll come to him and ask him, uh, he'll give us that pardon. But we have to ask for it and we have to receive it. So uh, thank you again, Tyler, and uh, for letting me sit in and be a part of this. I enjoy it. Thank you, Mr. Mike, and uh, just thank everybody for listening. Thank you very much. Appreciate everything. I'll hope to see you soon. Yes, sir. See you soon. Hi, right, buddy. Hi, right, Tyler. See you, buddy. Yes, sir. See you. Thank you so much, Mr. Mike. All Bye. right. Thank you all. Bye. Right. Bye. proud to have Conkey's Outdoors the sponsor of CHU Podcast. Conkey's is your complete hunting and hound supply store. They carry brands like Garmin, Daltra, Dan's, and even Summit Tree Stands and much, much more. Whether you're in the market for a new thermal or a new hunting rifle, Conkey's has it all. They even offer financing options. Being a family-run business with customer service that is second to none, it's no wonder why Conkey's is the best in the business. So go check them out at conkeysoutdoors.com or find them on Facebook at Conkey's Outdoors. I really hope y'all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you like what you heard here, go on over to Facebook. Give us a like at Coon Hunting U. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And remember, if you need a new hunting light, do not overlook Superior. They make an awesome light, best customer service in the business. Man, their walking light and double red is the brightest I've ever seen. 
Use coupon code CHU podcast at checkout at nighthunters.com. You can find the link in the description box below this. Coon Hunting University is a product of Audio Hound Productions. Until next time, y'all have a wonderful day.